0: You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a little of everything from everyone, everywhere, with your host, A.F. Grappin. Hey chefs, welcome to episode four of The Melting Podcast. We have a little bit of a change to our scheduling plan. I know I promised you a main ingredient episode last month, but there were some unforeseen circumstances that are making this into a Stoke the Fire episode. Unforeseen circumstances meaning we actually got three horror story submissions in three days for the same prompt. So considering what yesterday was? Yeah, I'm running these today. That main ingredient episode will come December 1st, I promise. I'm going to interrupt your nanorimowing goodness with three stoke-the-fire stories. These are all for prompt number two, which is a common household object isn't what it seems. Here's the first story. The World Wide Web by Sarah Yozio. I just don't understand this computer, Gloria. Did you get through to tech support yet? I'm still on hold, Dave. Try pushing that big key. Enter. Gloria pointed to the keyboard where Dave's hands fluttered helplessly. "'Every time I do that, it makes that awful noise and the screen flashes red. I don't think it's supposed to do that. I knew we should have gotten that computer with the windows. Windows are so nice!' Dave sat up straight in his chair and threw his hands up in the air. "'Wait, it's doing something!' He leaned forward and squinted at the screen, where words slowly appeared letter by letter. This doesn't seem right. He read the words clumsily as they appeared. Atlatch Atlach Natcha. Dave, shh! I think I'm getting through. Gloria pressed the phone to her ear with both hands. Her husband lowered his voice as he continued to read out the words on the screen. Atlach Natcha requires. Oh, never mind. It was another recording telling me how much they value their customers. At large nature requires ablation. Ablation? Gloria, you play that Words with Friends game on that phone of yours. What's ablation mean? Ablation, noun, a thing presented or offered to God or a God, Gloria announced in monotone. O-B-L-A-T-I-O-N, ablation. I know how it's spelled, Gloria. It's right here, for gosh sakes. Dave, don't swear. You owe a dollar to the swear jaw. Dave pursed his lips in chagrin. Oh, I'm through. I mean, hello, young man. Yes, yes. We're having computer trouble. She paused, twirling the spiral cord around her finger. Yes, we tried turning it off and on again. Yes, we checked all the cords. Tell him we held the CTRL and the ALT and the delete buttons down, Gloria. Dave, he says to open the port on the side. I think he means that little flap. Yes. Okay. Dave, he says to stick your finger in there. Stick my finger in? Gloria, I don't think... Dave, just do it. The nice young man says it will fix the problem. Dave glanced at the screen as he fumbled for the flap. Atlas snatcher requires ablation to complete its web, he said absently as he inserted his finger into the slot. "'Ow! Hey, that's sharp!' Dave withdrew his finger to reveal a smear of blood. Just then the screen started flashing red ominously. "'Oh, Dave, the young man says you did that just right!' "'Oh, good. Thank you, young man.' "'Yes, that was all we needed.' "'Yes, I'll complete the survey. "'You have a nice day, too.' Gloria hung up the phone. "'Such a polite young man. "'So is it working now, Dave?' Dave stared blankly at the computer. Gloria watched his expression, confused, and then looked at the browser. A giant spider with a humanoid face filled the screen. Sticky strands of silk spun from obscene appendages as it scurried across a web of horrors. Just as it reached the center and anchored its line, the screaming began. I'm going to be doing more stuff like that with my voice, apparently. It has been insisted and requested and it's inescapable. So that was our first horror story. Moving on to the next one, read to you by Aaron Kasmark.
1: Vacuums Suck by Justine Roberts He'd do nicely, she thought, watching him through a slit in the blinds. He was young, maybe in his mid-thirties, and more than fairly attractive, which was a plus. Attractive men were never surprised when women paid them attention. And if the woman just happened to be more than fairly attractive herself, well, let's just say there wasn't much a man wouldn't do. Letting the blinds fall into place, she moved over to the Chevalier mirror in the corner of the old-fashioned parlor for a brief survey of her shapely figure. Denim jeans rode low across her hips, hugging her ass and thighs like a glove. The black tee was cropped short, bearing a hint of midriff, with two bright cat eyes staring out from the material atop her breasts. Silver skulls dangled from her ears, and her hair, long, wavy locks of ebony, was tossed into a careless bun. She wasn't sure why men found the hairstyle so alluring. She wore it that way to hide the spattering of emerging gray. Either way, it served its purpose. Smoky eyes darkened a bit in irritation as she noted the wrinkles around her eyes and lips and the early beginnings of her skin thickening. It was nothing so blatant that anyone else would notice, but she did. It was definitely time, and he would do nicely. Taking one last long look at herself, she nodded in approval and headed for the front door. August was just sliding a tea light into his freshly carved pumpkin when he heard footsteps on the sidewalk leading up to his front porch. He glanced up to see his neighbor from across the street, his very sexy neighbor, and grinned to himself. He'd noticed her a handful of times since he'd moved in a few weeks ago, and had been meaning to find an excuse to talk to her. But the writing had been going so well recently he had devoted himself to his work. Now, though, he would take time for pleasure. An easy smile broke across his face as he wiped his hands on his jeans and stood up. "'Hey,' he said. "'Hey yourself,' she answered with a smile of her own. "'I noticed the moving truck a few weeks ago. I figured it was high time I came over and introduced myself. I'm Mariah.' Stepping onto the porch, she held out a hand, and August took it briefly in his. "'I'm August,' he replied. "'August,' she repeated, as though she were testing the name to see how it felt against her lips. "'I like it.' "'It does well enough, I guess,' he answered. He took a moment to appreciate her figure, missing the knowing smile on her lips as his gaze lingered on the cat's eyes, or rather, what was beneath them. "'So,' she began, gesturing to the jack-o'-lantern. You got plans for tonight? If you call handing candy out to trick-or-treaters and then settling down with some horror films and a six-pack of beer plans, then yeah, I've got them. She laughed at this, the soft tinkling charming to his ears. Sounds a lot like my plans for the evening, she said, except I was planning on baking some chocolate chip cookies to go with Nightmare on Elm Street. Chocolate chip cookies, you say? He asked, a gleam that Mariah was all too familiar with glinting in his eyes. They're my specialty. "'How about this?' she asked, leaning into him and letting her voice drop to a whisper. "'Why don't you come over and help me bake my cookies? "'We'll skip the trick-or-treaters and go straight to the movies. "'On the couch. "'In the dark. "'Alone.' "'Her lips moved up to barely brush his, her eyes filled with seductive promises. "'Without a word, he followed her across the street.' An hour later, they were both laying in the middle of her parlor floor, naked and panting. Clothes were scattered across the floor. They'd barely made it inside before she'd started ripping August's off. He'd eagerly followed suit. Three times, he thought. Three times in an hour was a definite record for him. She was amazing. And he was exhausted. Perfectly content in his exhaustion, He'd forgotten all about the cookies. He glanced over as he noticed Mariah rising to her feet. Way going, he mumbled rather unintelligibly. To get my vacuum, she answered. Vacuum? he asked, managing to lean up on one elbow. Yes, vacuum, she answered with a laugh. You knocked my plants over while you were busy having your way with me. She gestured to the table and the two pots that were upended on the floor next to it. Rich brown soil was smeared across the carpet. Oh shit, he muttered. I'm sorry. He wasn't, though. He was too busy remembering the feel of her. Still, it seemed like the thing to say. No worries, she replied. I've got more in the backyard. I can always replant them. But I want to get the soil up before it gets a chance to really stain the carpet. Sure, sure, he said, trying to rouse himself enough to get off the floor. Don't get up, she ordered. This will only take a second, and I plan on coming right back. We're nowhere near done. With that promise in his ears, he collapsed back onto the floor and groaned. He wasn't sure how exactly, but he was already gearing up for another round. Waiting for her to come back, August shut his eyes and allowed his mind to drift. He didn't budge when he heard the sound of the vacuum roar to life. He pictured Mariah pushing the appliance back and forth over the carpet, her breasts swaying with the movement, dusky tips taut in the cool air. Deciding his imagination wasn't good enough, He cracked an eyelid to look. She was bearing down on him, the detachable hose pointed at his face. Before he could make sense of what was happening, she'd shoved the hose directly into his mouth. The suction, violent in its force, began to suck all the air from his lungs. His eyes bulged as he tried to draw breath, but there was no air. He felt his lungs contract, desperate for oxygen, but it was gone. After a few moments, the hose was pulled free, and he immediately tried to inhale. He couldn't, and belatedly he became aware of a searing pain in his chest. His mouth gaping like a fish, reaching for air and finding none, he realized his lungs had been sucked out. He then felt the cool plastic of the hose against his chest, and his back arched at an inhuman angle as the suction of the vacuum cleaner pulled him off the floor. He felt his spine crack and splinter as the skin on his chest began to tear away in bloody ribbons and disappear into the hose. He thought dimly that if his spine was broken, at least the pain would go away. It didn't. With no lungs to scream, August was forced to endure in silence as he felt every tiny piece of his body, right down to his last fingernail, ripped away and sucked into nothing. Still nude, Mariah released the pulp-filled canister from the vacuum cleaner and took it into the kitchen. Pulling down her blender, she poured the grisly contents of what had only moments before been the insatiable August into it. Shame, she thought, as she added some vanilla yogurt and a few whole strawberries to the mix. He'd been fairly talented. Pushing a button that sent the contents of the blender into a whirlwind of motion, she stretched lightly and took note of the slight soreness between her legs. Yep, it was a damn shame. She turned the blender off, then dumped the makeshift smoothie into a tall glass. She then headed back into the parlor. Ignoring the planting soil still scattered across the carpet, she came to stand before the mirror. She quickly downed the contents of the glass, cringing a bit at the slightly grainy texture. But a smile blossomed as she immediately began to change. The lines around her eyes and mouth disappeared. Her skin brightened and grew smooth and taut over her muscles and bones. The gray strands of her hair, now hanging in a wild tangle down her back, faded into black. As what remained of August made its way through her body, she watched herself transform, youth reclaiming her. With a satisfied purr, she donned her jeans and t-shirt, then grabbed the bowl of candy she'd left by the front door. Barefoot, she stepped lightly onto the porch, the cat eyes of her shirt glowing in the darkness. Flipping the porch light on, she settled onto the steps, candy in her lap, and smiled in welcome as the first wave of ghosts and goblins came racing to her door.
0: So, for those of you who don't know, the A and AF stands for August. Apparently, that was me. I am now dead. Moving on, our third story read by Theo Kazmark.
2: Pearls by Austin Malone I need you to stay late tonight, Denton said before Bill was even halfway through the door into the office. No way, Bill said. I've got plans tonight. And I've got an inspector coming to look at a vacant unit tomorrow morning. Your plans just changed. Which unit? 923, Denton replied. Shit, Bill muttered. That had been Miss Shapiro's apartment, until she died several days ago. Forget it. I'll fix dishwashers, haul furniture. I've even climbed a tree to catch a tenant's cat before but you don't pay me enough to be mopping up an old lady's blood. What if she had AIDS or something? Denton pulled open his filing cabinet and withdrew a pair of yellow, elbow-length rubber gloves. The hell I don't pay you enough, he said, slapping the gloves onto the desk. You walk out that door without taking these with you, and you won't be coming back. Bill snorted, (laughs) leaving you minus one handyman and a whole lot of mess on your hands. Yeah, Denton said. I'll cry myself to sleep over that tonight, after I cruise through the Home Depot parking lot and pick up a Mexican who will be happy to do your job for half the pay. What are you doing? Denton asked, as Bill pulled out his phone and began tapping the screen. Canceling my plans, Bill said, pressing send and scooping up the gloves in his free hand. Asshole. Bill handled the heavy stuff first, dismantling and disposing of the furniture. He worked his way through the rooms, around the bathroom. Load by load, the half-hearted mementos of an anonymous old woman disappeared into the property's dumpster until, around sunset, there was only one room left to clean. If there was ever a memory Bill would have liked to erase, it was of responding to a tenant's report of a strange smell, and coming upon Miss Shapiro in her bathroom. She had been doing a little amateur dentistry when she died, attempting to pull out each of her teeth with a pair of pliers. Her anticoagulant meds hadn't done her any favors. Somewhere around tooth number 11, she passed out, to eventually bleed to death through her gums. Bill took a deep breath and opened the bathroom door. Just rust, he muttered to himself, as he surveyed the brown crust that coated the floor and the sink. That's all it is, just like cleaning up junkyard scrap. As he bent to pull the mop bucket closer, a silvery glint behind the toilet caught his eye. Leaning forward, he hooked it with his fingers and withdrew a bracelet. Fashioned from a wide band of silver, it had turquoise inlay, and was studded with shiny white beads that looked like pearls to Bill. It was a common enough thing to find jewelry in a woman's bathroom, but Bill was transfixed by the object, running his fingers over each smooth, white bump. Before he realized what he was doing, Bill had slipped the bracelet onto his wrist. The rubber gloves went on next, and he set to cleaning. He dragged himself through the front door of his own apartment sometime after midnight. Gus, Bill's cat, padded up eagerly to be let out for the night, but skidded to a halt at Bill's feet. He reached down to pet Gus, but the cat recoiled, staring at Bill's hand. Glancing down, Bill saw the bracelet. Oh yeah, he said, displaying the gaudy accessory to the cat. Pick this up earlier, courtesy of the late Miss Shapiro. What do you think? Gus yowled and streaked into Bill's bedroom. Yeah, Bill said to the empty room. I don't think it suits me either. Kicking off his shoes, he made his way to the bedroom. He managed to slip off the bracelet, setting it on the nightstand, and drop his work belt to the floor before he fell into bed, fully dressed and unconscious. In his dream, his teeth were falling out. His tongue probed a tooth, felt it wiggle, and contrary to Bill's futile protestations, pushed it out. This happened over and over again, until Bill forced himself awake, gagging his heart still hammering from the nightmare increased its tempo when bill realized he couldn't move he wanted to raise a hand to his mouth to check his teeth but the limb refused to respond he tried to wiggle his toes nothing a full body thrash ended up amounting to a hissed whimper through his nose and that's when he realized he wasn't alone there was something hiding in the shadows in the corner Bill had seen it move when he whimpered, responding to the noise. It stretched out toward him, always in the shadows, which themselves writhed out from the corner in tattered tendrils. Bill sucked in air for a scream, but the breath whooshed out of him when the thing landed on his chest, its gaunt body in a predatory crouch. Even up close, Bill couldn't tell what the creature looked like. It seemed to be made of shadows. A skeletal arm wreathed in darkness, reached for his face. Bill opened his mouth to scream, but couldn't draw in enough air. He felt the tickle of one of the thing's fingers as it brushed past his lips. Then there was a tugging scrape of something sharp against the back of one of his teeth. Bill moaned, and the thing leaned closer, pulling harder. Bill's salvation came with a banshee wail and a streak of gray fur. Gus launched himself at the thing perched on Bill's chest and swiped his claws to its midsection. The substance of the creature tore in shadowy wisps and it shrank back, disappearing into the shadows with a screech. With a ragged gasp, Bill found himself once more in control of his body. He rolled over into a half-sitting position. His trembling fingers missed the cord of his lamp twice before he was able to switch it on and drive the shadows away from his bed. He sat there for a moment, head in hands, gulping fresh air into his lungs. When he looked up, his eye was drawn by the lamplight glinting off the bracelet. He stared at the pearls as they winked up at him, and his mind made the connection. No, not pearls. Teeth. He bent forward and picked up the hammer from the tool belt at his feet. Gus chirped at him and jumped off the bed, pausing once to flick his tail in the air before trotting out of the room toward the front door. Bill stood, picked up the bracelet between his thumb and forefinger of his other hand, and followed. Outside, Bill smiled as the cat scampered off into the cool autumn night. His expression sobered step by step, though, as he approached the end of the driveway with the bracelet and hammer. Kneeling, he dropped the bracelet, and with aching muscles still protesting from earlier, he brought the hammer down on it. He kept at it until nothing remained but a battered strip of silver, turquoise shards, and coarse white dust. Utterly spent, Bill trudged back inside, dropped the hammer on the floor next to his bed, and collapsed onto it again. He was on the edge of sleep, attempting to roll over, when he realized he couldn't move again. His eyes flew open and searched the room. He found it on the ceiling. With languid, grasping motions, the creature descended like a spider. Once more... Bill found himself struggling to breathe as the loathsome thing reached for his mouth. He didn't understand. He'd destroyed the bracelet. What did the thing want? A shadowy claw gouged at the enamel of one of Bill's upper teeth. He couldn't so much as turn his head away, and he lay there helpless, listening to the crunch within his jaw as the tooth was twisted back and forth. He couldn't move, but maybe if he could get enough air, he could call out to Gus. The cat had saved him last time. A memory flickered behind his eyes, a dark furry blur bounding off into the bushes. Bill felt a warm wetness trickling from the corner of his mouth. The creature continued its excruciating work, uninterrupted. Bill thought about his tool belt on the floor, mere feet away. The color blue flashed in his mind's eye. Blue rubber, slightly scuffed from use, sheathed in handles of a compact, A powerful pair of pliers. He understood. He could endure this torture, night after night, or he could take matters into his own hands. Above him, the creature leaned closer, and somewhere in the featureless shadow of its face, Bill was sure it was grinning.
0: So that was our third story. Yeah, that was creepy. And apparently I was reincarnated into that one as a cat. That's kind of awesome. I am not dead. I am not dead. Okay, I have survived Halloween. This is awesome. Okay. This is a good thing. Okay, what's with people putting me in their stories? Seriously, Gus the Cat? I don't think that was intentional with those two authors, but um, Justine Austin, that was cool. We're gonna take our usual quick break to promote another awesome podcast or audiobook.
2: Dan Dan the Art Man's Book Reviews, a podcast where I share my book reviews
0: with you. I go about my reviews a little different. I try not to, like, summarize the book. I just
2: kind of try and tell you how I felt about the book, why I liked it, why I didn't, and that's about it. Mostly, I read sci-fi and fantasy, but I also try and read broadly Mothering Heights by Emily Bronte. 11-22-63 by Stephen King. DanDanTheArtMan.com
0: And we're back. So it's a little too late to really start asking for any Christmas-themed stories, but Valentine's Day approacheth, so keep that in mind when submitting any other Stoke the Fire stories. The two current open prompts are prompt number three, which is each food in your refrigerator has a different effect on your mental health. And now opening prompt number four, which is a company... Has just received an order of fledges. They did not order these. Prompt number three will probably be going away at the end of this month, so go ahead and get those in. Uh, we'll see if we can get another episode out of those. We do have uh, something in store with those already, but send in your stories. We are also in need of more main ingredient stories. I know you haven't had but one of those yet, but another one is coming very soon. And we've only got. Like, three more in progress, and those do take me longer to do, so it's better to get those in early. So head over to meltingpodcast.com and check out our main ingredient submission guidelines and send us some of those stories. We always want them. So that was our Halloween episode. I hope you enjoyed. We will see you next month with that main ingredient episode I promised before. Uh, you really will get it this time. But until then, keep eating and keep writing. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can find our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. Find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast, or email us at themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are from the Free Sound Project, and the music is by Drew Rich Creek.